Thanks for listening to our podcast. Before we begin, let me tell you about Peterson Toyota, who is the largest dealership in Northern Colorado, and they've been doing it for 50 years. I was bummed to hear my man, Mike Kroos, who's been at Peterson Toyota for 17 years, is now leaving for a new opportunity in San Diego. We'll miss him, but we're grateful for his support and opening up the partnership with such a great dealership that values its relationship with customers. Peterson Toyota staff is top-notch. They put your needs first. They have the best selection at the best prices, and their staff will help you find the car or truck that is right for you. So if you're in the market for a new or used vehicle, please give Peterson Toyota first shot at your business. Thanks. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Ram Nation Radio. Today, we welcome in CSU Athletic Director Joe Parker. He's coming in with us approximately once every month. And what's really cool about this is this was all Joe's idea. He wants to be out in front of fans, talking about the Rams, answering questions. So our plan is to do this once a month for you fans. And uh, really happy about that. Before we bring Joe in, though, just a reminder that the Cash Restaurant is open at Ginger and Baker. Stop in for hand-cut Colorado steaks and chops, killer sides, fine wine, and top-shelf whiskey. I've seen a couple posts on our board recently of people, including longtime Ram Nationer Da Rams, uh, who has visited Ginger and Baker for the very first time. He was raving about it on the board, which is cool. Um, I'm telling you, give this place a shot. You'll be blown away. And aside from the cash restaurant, they've also got the cafe, the bakery, the rooftop, love the rooftop, and their world-class teaching kitchen. Every one of them is spectacular. Ginger Graham's got a special thing going on here at Ginger and Baker. Stop on into my favorite restaurant in all of Fort Collins. All right, Joe, thanks for coming in again this week. How is everything going on campus? Yeah, it's, it's uh, going well. Um, you know, it's been busy as we near the end of our academic year uh, with the semester concluding Friday. Friday's the last day of finals, so that's been a, you know, good thing. Um, you know, all of the traditional spring sports are, are uh, continuing, all the non Non-traditional spring sports have concluded. Um, you know, I say that women's tennis is finished. Uh, men's golf is, is done, except for A.J. Ott made the NCAA uh, regional. So he'll, he'll be on his way to Stillwater, Oklahoma to play Karsten Creek. I ran into A.J. out in the parking lot. I've, I've been on that course, and believe me, he'll play it a lot better than I ever could. <laughs> but it's it's a hard one. And uh, so he's got a, a a friend here from Fort Collins from Fossil Ridge that I think has played at OSU. So he's getting some inside intelligence on how to play the course and, and kind of plan his, his round, but be exciting to see him continue. And, you know, what a great thing for him, you know, cause this was an add on year for, for AJ came back to fulfill, you know, final year eligibility that was extended by, you know, the cancellation of last season because of COVID uh, track and field programs are, are having a, a really good year, um, as one would expect. Brian Bedard has done just really, I think, in so many ways, a masterful job of building the right culture around his programs. And and uh, so they're on their way to conference this weekend. And, you know, hopefully NC2As after that. Jen and Jen Fisher and softball have a final final weekend of play. They're, they'll be in San Jose for a three-game series. And and uh, I think that wraps it. So, you know, it's been a interesting year and it feels good to be at the nearing the end point of it. And what what you know, what we're most excited about is just what's ahead. You know, it's it's been great to see all the positive news as it relates to, you know, what what uh, what things will look like through the summer and through the fall. And two months ago, we started talking about 100 percent occupancy. You know, I just didn't want to even consider anything less than and 
and it looks like the, the public health narrative is going to catch up to, to the narrative I started two months ago. So at least I hopefully won't have to eat my words. So <laughs> fingers crossed on that. Right. Yeah. You, you just brought up Jim Fisher's uh, mm. program. Do, do they play a Mountain West tournament? No, no, it was just 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 regular season this year. So, yeah. Any chance for postseason? Um, uh, I I don't I don't believe so. I mean, they're they're you know they they've you know they I don't think I'm trying to think if they've been swept in any single series this year. I think they've always been able to at least get one game off of an opponent. But um, you know, no, they they've not had a, a a year in which they would you know would have earned the opportunity for postseason play. Right. So last week you made a change in the women's soccer program. What went into that decision after these eight past eight years that Bill Hempen led the program? Yeah, you know, I've been here for six of the eight years that Bill's been our coach. Um, you know, first, I would say the first two years of, of my, my uh, time here, you know, Bill was just trying to really create a division one program, you know, from the ground up. And it, it was, difficult um understand that you know they they were you know using uh fields up at fc fort collins you know up by the budweiser brewery and then and then i think it was my first year when we finally got them anchored to campus with use of the lagoon field and that was a you know a, a better experience i think for the program um and and then finally when we completed canvas stadium you know that opened up obviously the the old football practice fields for soccer and so they've had you know a permanent home for I guess four four years now <laughs> and um, you know I, I, I you know I, I want people to understand that you know we've got aspirations to win conference titles and um, you know Bill put you know everything he had into eight years to build the program but I just as I looked forward and beyond you know I just had concerns that, that we were, you know, that we were going to be able to really do that. Um, you know, there's still a lot that needs to be done in order to resource the program appropriately. Namely, you know, we've got a great footprint for the facility and we've got a great field that they play on as far as a playing surface, but, you know, we need more, you know, to really say that we've got um, the appropriate investments in the program, but um, care for Bill, um, you know, want, want him to, uh, you know, certainly have opportunities beyond here, uh, but, but just felt like, you know, there needed to be more as it related to building a championship culture and, and we're in the pursuit of right now. So I've been encouraged by the response from the market. There's a lot of people that have shown interest. Uh, we're building our list right now. Um, you know, we've identified people that we hope we can recruit into the candidate pool and, and uh, you know, I've talked to the team <clears throat> twice well, three times now. First was to inform them of the decision about changing leadership. Uh, the following day, uh, last week, we met with a group of students in person to talk about characteristics of, of what they believe would be a successful head coach. And then we met with a, a, a group yesterday, a smaller group that couldn't be there in person to have that same conversation. So I want, want their voices to be a, a part of the, the process. But, um, you know, so this week we're putting our list together um, next week, hopefully, we'll, we'll get a chance to start visiting with, with people in a virtual environment. And then the expectation would be before the end of the month, we've got, uh, you know, our, our few finalists, which I would expect to be a handful or less of people that 
will be on campus for interviews and then a decision made hopefully before June 1st, which I told the students that, you know, if we can do, do the search under the expected timeline, we'd, we'd be done within 30 days. And, and that, that's important because, you know, there's an opportunity to host camps here on campus. And so it'd be great to have a, a new a head coach engaged for that process. Tori Ball, who's our, was one of Bill's assistants as serving as the interim head coach. So she's got her steady hand on the wheel trying to, you know, help us navigate the next two, three weeks before we can get to that final decision. Uh, she, she's interested, um, I think, in, in being a, a part of the process as it relates to the search. And, um, you know, I've encouraged her to do that. Uh, but, but yeah, it's an opportunity, you know, kind of hit the reset button and, and, you know, bring bring a new, fresh perspective in for the students, and and hopefully, uh, hopefully, we see great progress under new leadership. You you just touched a base on this a little bit. What do you what do you foresee with the program? I mean, we have it at the club level, at the high school level, um, and for me personally, knowing a lot of coaches in both of those, we have talent in this state. So, wh- what do you see? the future of uh, Colorado State women's soccer being? Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, with all of our programs, you know, I, I think we can be, you know, the, the benchmark for everyone else. Um, you know, you, you've, you've diagnosed it. You know soccer uh, really well from, you know, your experience with the sport and, and your passion for it. And you're right. I mean, we've got a lot of embedded talent here in the state of Colorado that, that, that uh, gets great instruction through, the youth programs here in the state and in the, in the high school soccer as well. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think we need to go too far beyond the, the state of Colorado to, you know, fill a division one roster that can be highly competitive. Um, and I, and I was, you know, I felt good about the conversations we've had with the, the students. I mean, they, 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 they carry themselves uh, well, you know, they, they see themselves as a championship team. They don't think it's, going to take long to get them there um you know so they're they're excited about what's ahead and and you know i I really believe that you know you think about csu just the the nature of the institution the strength of the academy um and and what what a student would want from the academic pieces that are offered here at csu you think about you know the quality of the community and and what you know what the vibe of this community lends to, you know, the college experience and, you know, you couple it with, uh, uh, you know, division one program. And I I think we got all the ingredients as we do with all of our other programs to be, you know, competing for titles. And so that, that certainly be the expectation as we hire a new coach. Like Mike said, I know lots of really talented soccer players in this state. And if we could just keep some of those home, that's a good base. So um, the other big, story of this week was um, the addition of Indiana on the football schedule. One of the things that I just love what you're doing, Joe, is building our non-conference schedule. Mike and I are guys that love to visit new places and and see, you know, stadiums and traditions and uh, pageantry that we haven't experienced yet. So love, love this kind of stuff. Um, How did the opportunity and then it looked like um, you, was it Iowa or Wisconsin that you bumped a year, but how did the... Yeah, we, we moved Wisconsin, Wisconsin. Um, to, to make room for the, the date that Indiana had open. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, we talked a little bit about scheduling before, you know, it begins a lot of times with relationships. And, and then, um, you know, I've, I've mentioned before, too, that we've got a, a resource that's available to all of 
college football, and and that is um, a service called Gridiron that's managed by Dave Brown, who used to be the primary scheduler for for ESPN, um, and then was I think his last assignment for ESPN was president of the Longhorn Network. Um, good guy. I've known Dave for probably 15 years at, at least, um, and so he he's always. I mean, he always. He's like a savant. I mean, it's incredible. He's playing a three-dimensional chess game every day with all the pieces in his mind. You know, he hardly ever has to refer to, you know, the, the database that he's created for us because we can't work as fast in our minds as he does. But he's always considering what's what what people are trying to do. And I can't remember exactly all the moves, but you know, when he he I think it was Dave that came to us with the idea that Indiana could be a guarantee game for us and, and involved a moving our game against Wisconsin. I know Notre Dame was involved with it too. I think that Indiana had to make a move to make that happen. And and all that plays out pretty much in, in Dave's head. And he just puts the people together to have the right conversations. And, you know, it starts with, you know, is there interest administratively in doing it? And of course, absolutely. I mean, you've seen how we're trying to manufacture a, a creative schedule that has interest and gives our fans a, a reason to travel, you know, in the non-conference schedule. Um, and then, you know, it's always a conversation with football to see what they're thinking as it relates to, you know, our readiness to play a particular program. And it's hard to forecast out sometimes, you know, where we're at. Um, but, you know, Coach Adazio is always, always willing. He understands, you know, the opportunity that means for the team to really measure and understand where they're at against, you know, uh, top quality competition. and. And he also understands too that it creates a, a unique memory for our students when they get to go to play play at places like that. So it's, you know, that every every situation is a little bit different how it sort of opens up and comes to us. But but uh, you know, Dave Brown was a, a big part of making this one happen on our behalf. It's it, it seems like an interesting juggle of, you know, you've got a few on here. It, it's tough for anybody to go to Texas, Michigan. Um, you know, those kind of games at Wisconsin. Um, but then you, you, you sprinkle in the, the games that, Hey, these are, you identify these as games that we should or could have a, a realistic chance to go and win on the road even. Um, so how do you balance maybe a true guarantee game where you're like, Hey, this is, you know, I remember back in the day when Sonny Lubick was here and he would be like, well, we're, we just hope not to get, 18 injuries at Nebraska, you know, those kind of things. So how do you kind of balance the true road games against those true powers versus these, you know, more of the middle of the road, big 10 kind of opportunities where you actually can go win. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you kind of diagnosed it, you know, you, you know, you think about, you know, the budget impacts and trying to, you know, resource the department and, and uh, you know, so Texas and Michigan, you know, they're, they're paying the high watermark as it relates to bringing an FBS program to their stadium to play without any obligation to return the game. Um, and then you, you know, you look at opportunities where maybe there is, um, you know, a, a slightly less tradition program that, you know, can't maybe achieve the same financials, but it, it still helps you manage um, you know, the budget in a particular year, but, but it also is a program that maybe gives you a chance to win. Now, you know, you look, you look at all these schools and in, in Indiana, you know, they're, they're, they're a good football program. You know, they, they, uh, they, they've, they've really made a lot of improvement and they they're competitive within their conference. So, you know, none of these things are, are easy 
choices as it relates to you know competitiveness. But but I think you know our, our you know our program. <clears throat> You know, if you get a chance to play those games and you get a chance to, you know, compete and you get a chance to win, I mean, those can be the pivot point to, you know, for a pretty special season and, and even, you know, laying the framework for, you know, really, you know, the stability of a program. So, you know, our, our attitude has always been, you know, let's, let's, let's not shy away, you know, let's play people and, and really be able to measure up, you know, we've, you know, I think y'all went to Florida, y'all went to Arkansas, um, you know, you know, we've been up to Minnesota. Uh, so it's, you know, and, and I, I think Big Ten makes sense. I mean, we kind of, you know, we ran through a thread of SEC for a while and and now, you know, the focus for some of those non-conference games has been more of more of the Big Ten. I think a lot of people here in Fort Collins, you know, if they're transplants, they've come from the Midwest, a fair share. So you know, hopefully if we can convert them to CSU fans, you know, they might, they might join in to go to some of those games too. Yeah. I text uh, Jess Streaming immediately and was like, Hey, we're going to Indiana. And then D uh, Deidre at church text, text me and was like, Hey, that's not too far. So yeah, it should be a good time. I'm excited about yeah. that. Indiana. Yeah. And, and I've been to Bloomington several times. It's a it's a great college town. Um, I can make one denim recommendation for everyone, so you better get your reservation in early. But Zagreb is a great steakhouse in downtown Bloomington that that is a popular spot, and they serve they serve a great piece of red meat. Nice. Any chance for a, a return visit from them, or is this a one off? No, no, it's just it's a guaranteed game. Yeah, yeah, straight up. Yeah, speaking of that, I mean, you've got great road games, but the, the exciting thing is, is you're getting some of these teams to come back. Oregon State, and then you had the first SEC team in Arkansas, and then you had uh, you got Vanderbilt coming in this year, Washington State, CU, Texas Tech, and Vandy again on the future schedules, Arizona. You know, I think in, Mike, you correct me, but I think in the 25 years since I've been attending games at Hughes or had been attending games at Hughes. I think I saw us play four total power five opponents during that span, um, Oregon, CU, Cal, and Minnesota. But anyway, the yeah. uh, clearly the new stadium is giving us more opportunities to get those kind of teams in. You're already showing that. Um, one is how important is it to get those teams in? Um, I think it's good for building that fan base. But, and the other thing I'd love you to touch on again, you've explained this before, but for those who might've missed it, there's a, there's that certain kind of threshold of opponent and their stadium size that makes sense for these home and homes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, right, right now, if you, to that point, you know, if it's an autonomous five program, so one of the, you know, five, you know, kind of power conferences, as they say, if they've got a home venue that's 60,000 or less, um, you've got a pretty good chance of talking to them about the, the, the home and home format, um, you know, because it, it, it uh, you know, their, their budgets aren't as robust as a, a school that's got an 80,000 plus seat stadium. Um, in those cases, you know, they're, they're going to buy games all day long, you know, it just makes more sense to them to have, you know, a seven or eight game home schedule and, and buy a game, even if it costs them, you know, a million, million, two, million, three, um, but, you know, for, for a school that has uh, fewer than, you know, 60,000 or less, you know, they, they can afford a guarantee game maybe on their schedule, uh, but they're also going to seek out, you know, home and homes just to get more efficiencies with their, with their operating budget. So that, that's been the strategy. You know, if you look across the schools that, that we've brought in, they're, 
you know, um, Texas Tech, uh, Arizona, Minnesota, um, you know, Vanderbilt. I mean, those programs don't have large stadiums, and so they're not always going to try and get a, a seventh or eighth home game. They're willing to take their team on the road. Um, but you know they get a they get a good quality opponent when we show up and, and play them, um, so that that seems to be a good format. You know it's worked with CU too, right? So Folsom Field, you know if they had a, a larger stadium, you know they'd probably be a little more reluctant to play a home at home. But um, you know, yeah, speaking of that, you, you just renewed that series, yep. And I kind of like the format that you you went with. It's a home and home. And then two years off and then a home and home and then two years off. So what was that? I assume obviously by design, uh, you know, probably, probably by their design influence more than ours. I mean, I, I would love to play CU every year. Uh, I think that that's just good for college football in our state. Um, you know, I think when they look at it, <clears throat> they've only got three non-conference opportunities. We've got four. So, you know, they're a little more careful about, about wanting to make a, a, you know, an every year commitment to us, it allows them to have a little more creativity on those years that they're not playing us with, with what they do. And I think they've even chose, they've made a decision to do some neutral games, you know, in Denver. Yeah. I don't see us doing that. You know, that comes up quite a bit in conversation. Um, but, you know, when we've got the best stadium in America, with Canvas stadium, I don't see any reason to, to take, take a game down to Denver. You know, it's, it's unique, I guess, in some ways to, to play at a professional venue, certainly, you know, I think that, you know, the students feel something from that. Um, but, but I just, you know, when, when we got a brand new stadium here that, that, uh, you know, we spent a lot of uh, resources to bring onto campus and you think about, you know, the quality of the experience that's created when you have a game here in Fort Collins, you know, I'd, I'd rather showcase campus than, than take it down to Denver. Well, one last thing on the schedule here, any regret in adding South Dakota state to our schedule this year? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, no, you know, you, 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 you know, you make those choices, you know, I can't remember that was probably a decision two or three years ago. Yeah. I'd have to go back and, and look at uh, when we signed that contract, but yeah, they're, they're, they're a good football team and that's, you know, playing in the national championship game this weekend. Exactly. Exactly. For all these home games that we've coming up this year, I know that we're, we're expecting full attendance. Um, if there's demand for full capacity, 41,000, are we at the point where we're, we'd open up standing room only and everything operations wise? Uh, yeah, I think so. You know, that, that you know, um, you know, would have loved to have done that for the Arkansas game a few years ago, fully anticipated that, that we, we could get a sellout with that. You know, the first season, wasn't comfortable doing it, you know, with Oregon State. We, I think we did some modest SRO sales for Oregon State, but just didn't want to overtax the, you know, the, the facility as we were trying to learn how to use it. Uh, but, but yeah, for certain, I think we, you know, we know how to operate it now with various crowd sizes. And I think we'd be ready to, to sell, you know, a, a more, you know, full component of SRO seats or standing room only seating. As you know, you you see the newspapers and everything. Um, we had a lot of uh, a lot of players in the secondary transfer or and enter the transfer portal in, in just a short amount of time. When, when a player transfers in any program, 
Do you have ex- exit interviews with that player? Do you think that this is just kind of a natural reset that's going on on the national level as far as, as players entering the, the transfer portal and just kind of, we, I mean, we're seeing it across the board in, in every sport and with every program. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we offer an opportunity for students to come in and provide an exit interview. You know, sometimes they like to do so. Sometimes they don't. It's a voluntary, um, you know, offer, uh, not, not a required offer. Uh, be kind of hard to make it a required offer. Um, when a student requests to be in the portal, our practices is to notify them that we're canceling their financial aid, um, you know, because, you know, you want, you want the coaches to be able to, you know, begin thinking about how they want to fill that roster spot. So you don't want to, you don't want to obligate, you know, for a, a shopping period. Um, and, and I, I, I think, you know, Mike, it's, it's, it's a part of college football. It's a part, you know, it's part of uh, college basketball now. You know, it's been a part of, you know, the other programs. There wasn't a requirement that students sit a, a year of residence before they were eligible to play at a new school. So it, it's, um, you know, I think it's going to feel a little bit like the wild, wild west for a while. Uh, but I, I, I think over time, what they'll, they'll be some, you know, they'll, it'll stabilize, right? I think students, you know, for whatever reason, um, get in conversations with, people that have influence that maybe, maybe not, um, that, you know, that, that might have their best interest at heart, but also may not know, um, you know, the situations well enough. I think we're going to see through the next couple cycles where there'll be kids in the portal that at the end of the day, they don't have a scholarship opportunity. Um, and that's going to be, that's going to be harmful, you know, obviously to their academic progress. And that, you know, it, 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 it's just the way it is. And I think the media has led us down this path. You know, they've made it sound like, you know, it's, it's, you know, you know, it's what, you know, the practice is unfair for students, you know, that they can't, you know, transition like a, an employee could or would. Um, but, you know, it's different, right? I mean, this is an educational experience. You know, I, I wished we could correct the narrative in the media. Um, you know, we, we do. Uh, whether people want to believe it or not, we have the best interest of every one of our students, and that relates most directly to, you know, helping them complete a degree here at CSU. And I think it's pretty short-sighted when they start thinking about playing time and, and role on team. And, and I recognize that's a big part of their life, particularly at this moment. But, but you know, it's also our job over time to help them realize that, you know, they've got to, they've got to, have a, a longer view and look, you know, deeper into the horizon about what life can be. You know, we, we you know, Nico talks about it a lot. <clears throat> and, um, you know, you, you think about a, a student that's a four-year student here at CSU and, and how the community invests in who they are as a person and uh, what that can mean for life beyond. You know, look at Pierce Horning, right? I mean, there's not a person in this community that that if they have had an interest in CSU basketball, doesn't have awareness for Pierce and wouldn't help create opportunities for him. I mean, he's, he's now, you know, probably close to getting close to seven or eight years out from his experience. And, and the fact that he played basketball here at CSU, I'm sure is still paying dividends to him. And, you know, if you, if you view yourself as, you know, 
you know, moving from one place to the other, um, you know, and you reflect back on, you know, two or three moves later, you know, what, who are you aligned with? You know, what fan base cares about you? What, what group of people do you feel associated with? You know, are you a Ram or are you fill in the blank two or three other times? Right. I mean, what, where do you see your alumni allegiance being a part of? Um, so I, I just, you know, maybe I'm a little bit more old school, but I, I really think if we can, you know, reinforce that, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep kids on board. And, and, you know, that was one of the first things I said to the soccer team, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's different, but, you know, they still have the same, you know, opportunities, you know, if they wanted to go in the portal. And I just said, you know, grass is not always greener, you know, hold firm, you know, we're going to, we're going to make a, a decision as quickly as we possibly can and give that coach an opportunity and a chance. And that's what I told men's basketball when we were in transition. And, you know, Nico invested in every one of those kids on the roster. Some decided to stay, um, others didn't. You know, Nico Caraccio stayed, you know. I mean, I think our fan base, you know, they care about that kid, that young man. And, and if he, when he finishes his pro career, if he wants to come back to Fort Collins and establish his life here, you know, I think the fact that he, he stayed is, is something that could, you know, lend to great things in his future. You know, uh, touch base on Nico when they were playing FIBA qualifying, we watched it. It was on ESPN plus and my daughter like immediately recognized him, you know, and went crazy and was pointing at the TV and, and, and you're right. You know, I think any fan base, they, they can connect with, with kids that have been put it, that have put in the work. So love hearing, I love, love that answer from you. Is love, loved hearing that. Yeah, you know, and it's it's fun for the fan base. You know, you see the growth and development that takes place over, you know, four or five years, and and uh, you know, it's huge. You know, I mean, I you think about conversation. I think about conversations that I have with first year students, freshmen, and then by the time they're juniors and seniors, what they're thinking about, where their interests are, you know, how they're talking about, you know, their future and their plans. It's so much different than what what it was, you know, three or four years previous. Um, you know, and that that just to me affirms that you know this experience is meaningful and makes a difference. Speaking of scholarships, you know, we've touched on this a little bit in the past, but how are you managing financing these extra years of eligibility? You talked about AJ Odd who came back. You know, if you got football players that have come back in addition to a crop of freshmen coming in. Um, how are you managing these extra costs this year? Yeah, it, it, it all kind of works out, you know, I mean, it, it, it um, you know, there, there hasn't been um, a, a deep investment in sort of, the, you know, the, the COVID eligibility year, you know, a lot of students, you know, they, they, you know, they'll, you know, if they're nearing graduation, then they've got a choice to make, you know, I mean, do, do they take on the opportunity to get a second bachelor's? Do they get a chance to start a master's or do I get on with life? Right. And I think there's been enough students that have looked and said, you know what, I love my sport. I love my team, but, but I also, you know, you know, set a, a timeline of what, when, when I wanted this experience to end and when I wanted to kind of move forward into the next phase or, or stage of, of my, of my life experience. So, there hasn't really been that many, um, you know, incremental dollars that have been necessary to fund, you know, additional years of eligibility. Um, you know, where does the, the money come from? You know, we've gotten uh, a, a little more, well, a lot better at, at how we manage summer school. Um, 
you know, just better academic performance in the fall and the spring mean that there's less need for eligibility grade repair in the summer. You know, we've been able to slash the spending that we've done in the summer for summer school, um, the NCAA, <clears throat> um, you know, um, has also granted some relief in that space, you know, uh, programs that, that have the opportunity to train through the summer by NCAA legislation um, used to be in some cases you'd have to enroll in class in order to pay the stipend, you know, now, now last two summers that hasn't been the case so we can pay the stipend and not have to, you know, necessarily have them enrolled in class so that's been a cost saving so we you know, we do the best we can to kind of shave here and there to make investments where we think it's going to be, you know, seeing the greatest return. And have you allowed any of those student athletes affected that have the, the that want to come back for that next year? Have you allowed that across the board in all sports or is it a, like a hand selection? It, it's, it's, uh, you know, I think Coach Adazio puts it the best way, you know, a, a fifth year or additional unexpected year is a privilege, not a right. And so if they've got a role that, that, they, that he believes they can fulfill on the team, um, they've been encouraged to take that opportunity. And if there really isn't an opportunity for them to see the level of playing time or the, the, the role that they want to uh, um, have within the team, you know, he's strongly encouraged them to, you know, point towards graduation as, as their end moment. So. You know, he had conversations in, in December and January to inform students what, you know, kind of what bucket they they could expect to be in. And so we've got a lot of kids that are graduating in May and a, and a, a few that are graduating in August that, that could have had an additional year of eligibility, but just didn't make sense to, to do that from, you know, the role that they were going to be playing. You know, and, and you think about it, I mean, those are kids that have, you know, matriculated through the program, they've matured. Um, and, and, you know, their expectation is they, they want to play, they want to have a broader, bigger role on the team. And if, and if, and if, you know, if there's, you know, a lot of competition in, within the position room, and you can't create that opportunity, you know, it, it probably really is best for them to, to turn the page and, and get on with life. A few minutes left here, Joe. So we'll wrap up here with a couple more questions. CSU just announced recently that students who return to campus this fall must be vaccinated. So it's, I guess it's a requirement of attending school this fall. Um, there's some debate as to whether that or not that's ethical, whether students should be forced to take a vaccine when some of them have not been fully FDA approved. Um, have you gotten any sense from any concern from student athletes that they may not be on board with, with being required to do this? Uh, haven't heard anything surface in my office related to that. Um, you know, I want to kind of qualify some of the things that you said. Um, the vaccine will be mandatory as soon as the emergency use has been lifted. So gotcha. um, once it's once it gets full approval, that would be the expectation. And um, you know, it was it was a decision made at the systems office level. Um, and and I, I believe it's the right decision. You know, there there are exceptions um you know if, if someone has strong objections related to religious beliefs or you know other other things i think there's a way to you know to exempt themselves from the mandated vaccine uh order but you know we're we're a city within a city um and you know i mean 
I also think about it from the perspective of a roster member, you know, I mean, the, the vaccine seems, you know, it's been proven to be safe. Um, and, uh, you know, you know, you know, I've taken it, I'm sure you guys have too. Um, you know, and there's, there's comfort in knowing that, you know, you're, you've got some level of protection against COVID-19. And when it relates to just all the things that we encountered this last year, if you're vaccinated, um, if there's a close contact and you don't manifest any symptoms, you're not going to be quarantined. Uh, so it's a pretty good, pretty good deal from where we have been. You know, there's been, you know, we had a lot of healthy students that never, that had exposure that, that never, um, you know, contracted COVID-19 that lost significant opportunities to practice and play. So you, you take that piece away and that's good. Um, you know, if you're, if you're, vaccinated, <clears throat> you know, it's, I think it's going to be very likely that you're not going to be required to test or at least test with the same frequency that we did through the season. Um, you know, the number of students that I said, hey, I'm tired of putting a nasal, you know, a cotton bud up my nose and swabbing my, <laughs> my nasal passage, you know, I, I think that's another benefit that we can offer to them. You take the vaccine, you, you know, you're, you're not going to get contact traced away from practice and competition. And and you don't have to test anymore. So, so in my mind, that's a pretty good deal. Yeah. I'll tell you for me, <clears throat> I was getting tested once a week. And after the 10 days for my second uh, jab, I've been tested once and yeah, you're right. Having that, <laughs> having that cotton swab going up into your brain. Um, I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> We were doing it three times a week, Mike, for those programs that were in season that were deemed high contact. So it, Ugh. it was, and now granted, it wasn't the, the full nasal pharyngeal you could self-administer. So it wasn't that bad, but even still, you know, you know, your, your nose gets kind of raw after three times a week yeah. for a full season. Yeah. Hey, last, last thing for me, uh, I've been wondering about this, but was there any fallout with corporate sponsorships this past year with, you know, no fans attending, uh, companies maybe watching their budget a little tighter due to the pandemic. Did we retain most everybody or? Uh, we, we did really well. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think that, you know, final numbers are, are still pending. Uh, but, but I think that's, that's a testimony to, um, you know, our, our sponsors and just, you know, how they really embrace what they do on our behalf as it relates to support to the programs. It's a testimony to, um, our team within uh, Ram Sports Properties, um, you know, and the relationships that they have with our with our sponsors, and then our own internal team. There was a lot of creativity exercise to offer up different, unique, new opportunities. You know, through you know uh, virtual spaces and and new programming that we developed to push out through social media platforms that that allowed people to to, you know, feel like they were still getting some level of exposure. Um, you know, it wasn't all just about in venue and the LED, you know, assets that are at the stadium or Moby arena. So we, we did well. I'm not sure exactly how well, um, cause we're still kind of working through the final numbers. There were some adjustments and modifications that were necessary, but I'd say due in large part, we, we, we did better than we thought we would. All right, Joe. Um, Good stuff as always. Appreciate your time. Yeah, you guys, of course. Well, listen, we're heading into graduation weekend. I've got two freshly minted Rams. Our daughter takes her last exam today and our son takes his final 
CSU uh, exam tomorrow. So wow, good for them. Yeah, you know, awesome. what they, you know what they want to do after school. Uh, you know, they they you know they had an outstanding experience here at CSU. They felt fulfilled in every way, academically, socially. A lot of growth for them, and uh, both have jobs. Our daughter's moving to Salt Lake City, working for an apparel company called GG Pip. And our son is on his way to Dallas uh, to work for Merrill Lynch in a on a wealth management team down there. So wow. CSU did right by our children. Good That's for them. Great. Congratulations. Yeah, congratulations to them and you. Yes, yeah, thanks. Thanks. All right. Well, be well, guys. Appreciate you too. it. Thanks a lot, Joe. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks for coming on. All right. Before we let you go, let me remind you to treat yourself to Mighty River Brewing Company. They have 15 beers on tap, including the new. Little Brookie Hazy IPA, which is their first ever low-calorie, low-carb brew. You can enjoy that and all the other beers for $5 on Mondays and Tuesdays. They've got food trucks regularly throughout the week, music on weekends. Stop in and say hi to Dan Miller, longtime Ram Nationer, great CSU Ram fan. And don't forget to show Ram Nation on your phone. Get $1 off your beers. Support these guys. Great guys. Great business. Great place. Great beer. All right. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Michael Rowe. Special thanks to Joe Parker for joining us again and uh, Associate AD for Communications, Kyle Neves, for helping set it all up. Always good to talk CSU Rams. Have a great rest of the week and go Rams.